Heavenly Father, we are here because we believe in you. And Father, we are here because we want to worship together. And Father, I, we pray now that as we read your word, um, perhaps to verses that we've read hundreds of times, that you would just continue to breathe new life and fresh understanding into what we're about to read. And so we pray that we would leave here transformed. We thank you for your presence. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. But I want to begin, and, and if you're visiting us here for the first time or, you know, you're here with Orangewood, we've started a sermon series uh, maybe about a month and a half ago. And we said that um, after Jesus is la- on the, in the Last Supper, when Jesus kind of has this bit, he bids his disciples farewell, from the time they leave the, the upper room where they have the Last Supper and Jesus makes his way to Gethsemane, um, Jesus has this message to share with his disciples. And we said that it is a message of hope, it is a message of comfort, and it is, in a sense, Jesus' last few words to give to his disciples. And that's one of the stories that we're looking at this morning. This morning, our title of the sermon is, I Am the True Vine, and we're technically in part two. And so if you weren't here last week, you didn't miss much other than to abide in Christ means that we bear fruit. In other words, that we live a life that looks a lot like the life of Jesus. And so this morning, we're beginning our sermon with John chapter 15, verse 4. John chapter 15, verse 4. And here's what he says. Jesus says, abide in me as I abide in you. Now, this word abide is a word we know, but realistically, it's not a word that we use in, in our everyday conversation. And I think, in fact, a lot of the times, a lot of the words that we use in church and in the Bible aren't words that we use in our everyday vocabulary. And so sometimes we have to break down some of these words. And so when we think about the word abiding, I think a better word or a better way to translate it would be to stay connected, to continue to keep submitting yourself, or to keep surrendering yourself to Jesus. Now, we know how to connect with everyday people, right? If you're married, if you're in a relationship, even if you just have friends. I mean, how do you, how do you connect on a daily basis? Just someone raise your hand and tell me how you do it. Anyone? Call? What are other ways that we connect? Text? Luke? Spend time? Oh, FaceTime? Yeah, FaceTime. What are other ways that we connect? Visit? What are other ways we connect? Email? Yeah, so I think part of what I'm getting at is that when we connect with human beings, right, with other people, there is a multitude of ways that we can connect and stay connected to them. Is that right? Yeah, so we're continually, and if we're not connecting to them, especially if you're in a relationship, if you're married, you're always thinking about that other person or often thinking about that other person. So when it comes to our relationship with God, it's very similar. Now, maybe we can't text message God in the same way that we text message our friends. And maybe we don't have the same kinds of conversations because we don't necessarily hear God talking back to us. But it is about the motivation of our hearts and the motivation of our souls. Where do, are you, the question we're asking is, are you continually coming to Jesus? Are you continually opening your heart and your mind and your soul to hear what God is trying to tell you? And so to abide in Christ, as we said last week and we reiterate today, is to continue to connect to the source of life. And just as we spend time developing relationships with the people in our lives, 
we must also spend time connecting to God. Because the Bible tells us that if Jesus is the true vine, which is Jesus' way of saying that he is the source of life, that he is the one that gives you life, he is the one that will sustain you. And so for you to truly live the life that God created you to live is to always remain connected to Christ. And so the question that then arises from, well, what does it mean that we are to abide in Christ? I came up with, just from the text, just from the next several verses, four ways you know, in a practical way, whether you are abiding in Christ. And so I want to look at those now. Number one, according to the passage here, in John chapter 15, verse 2, here's what it says. It says, every branch, he removes every branch in me that bears no fruit, and every branch, so you are the branch, by the way, and every branch that does bear fruit, he cleanses it, he cleans it to make it bear more fruit. And so the question we're asking is, are you bearing fruit? Now, last week we discussed that what it means to bear fruit isn't just to know a lot of Bible verses about Jesus, right? To bear fruit doesn't mean that you can give a Bible, a Bible study to just about anyone. To bear fruit doesn't mean that you look good on the outside, but what we discussed is from Galatians chapter 5 is that to bear fruit is to be loving, to be kind, to be generous, to have self-control, to treat other people with kindness. To bear fruit means that you live as much like Jesus as possible. And what we talked about is that we try our hardest to do that. That it's never just our own effort and our own will that allows us to live by the Spirit, but according to John chapter 15, the only way we bear fruit is by being connected to Christ. And what this whole, this whole set of verses is teaching us is that the only way that you can truly bear fruit, the only way you can truly become more and more like Jesus is by staying connected to Jesus. Let me give you a quick uh, normal example. How many of you have ever been in a relationship or are in a relationship and some of the qualities of the other person you are with begin to rub off on you. So sometimes we begin to use the same words that they use or the same expressions that they use. Sometimes we start to like even some of the same things that they like. Have you ever experienced that? And that's just normal just being around that other person. So when you're connected to Christ, the fact that you are starting to bear the fruit isn't just that you are a better person than everyone else, but that God is beginning to rub off on you. And not only that, the Bible tells us that Jesus then begins to, to clean away all of the things that are getting in the way of your relationship with him. It is Jesus, it is God who is continually at work cleansing you and making you more like him. So number one, you know you are abiding or remaining or connecting in Christ if you are bearing fruit, if you are becoming more like Christ. Number two, do the words of Jesus abide in you? And again, there's that word. But are the words of Scripture, are the words that Jesus taught, are they a part of your life? Again, it's not just do you have them memorized. You can memorize all sorts of things, but if your life isn't reflecting the things you are memorizing, then it doesn't really count. So there's a there's this passage in Hebrews chapter 8. And here's what it says, because I don't have it in my notes. It says, this is the covenant to the believers, the covenant that he will make. And he says, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
He says, I will put the laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. This was the New Testament way of saying that Jesus, or rather that God is the one who is writing his words, his truths on your heart and on your soul. And what that means is that no matter how hard we try to be good, and, and some days will be better than other days, but if you remain connected to Christ, God will be the one who naturally writes these on your heart. Here's what that means, right? Because it's kind of like, well, what does that mean? What it means is that now you will start to become more like Christ. For the laws and the words of God to be written on your heart is a biblical way of saying that God will begin to do the work in you. The Bible tells us that you, once you have given your life to Christ, are a new creation. The Bible tells us that, it is the, that the, there's this biblical word called sanctification. Right? It's a word we only use in churches, but to be sanctified is in a sense to be cleansed. It's to be made more like the person of Jesus. And the Bible tells us that that is the work of God and the work of the Holy Spirit that is happening in your life. What you are responsible for is to keep being connected to God. It's that daily embrace of the will of God in your life. And so in my notes, it says that to have the laws written on your heart is that you start to embody the law. It's what's God doing. It's, what's God, it's, what, it's what God is doing in your life. And it is a natural unfolding of you being connected to Christ. It's just like when we're in relationships and we start to do the little quirks that the other person does because it's just that natural progression of a relationship. So there's an illustration that I kind of want to use. There's this book, and I think I, I think I have it up there. Yeah, there's, well, the question is, are you, so then the question that arises, are you Jesus' disciple? Are you his follower, or are you just a fan? Here it is, okay, so are you a fan or a follower? All right, so there's a, a pastor by the name of Kyle Eidelman who wrote a book called Not a Fan. And in it, he makes a distinction between you as a Christian, whether you are a true follower of Jesus or if you are just a fan. Now, a fan, he, he defines as someone who's an enthusiastic admirer, right? They buy the t-shirts, they wear the what would Jesus do bracelets, they have, you know, I don't know, all the Christian albums that are coming out, whatever it is, right? A fan is someone who is enthusiastic about it, about whatever it is that they're looking at. So, for instance... For, for, for me, you guys know that I'm a big Denver Broncos fan. Well, not, I mean, I'm not that big because I'm not, like, that obsessed with it, but that's my team if I follow, when I follow football. Now, I, I own, in my office, I have a Denver Broncos helmet that was given to me as a gift. And I also have a Denver Broncos jersey. And I have a Denver Broncos hat, and I have Denver Broncos t-shirts. And so, and I've even been to a game. But even if I had every single part of the uniform does it mean that I'm actually a part of the team? Now, I know some people would say, well, the fans are a part of the team, but okay, come on. Realistically, you're not on the field, so you're probably not really a part of the team. So just because you look like you could be on the team doesn't necessarily make you a part of the team. And so Kyle Eidelman, in his book, and it's, he writes that the biggest threat to the church today is fans who call themselves Christians but aren't actually interested in following Christ. They just want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. You see, a fan is someone who shows up. 
A fan can be any one of us who's here this morning who looks the right way, who says the right things to the people when you're supposed to. When you're shaking hands, you say, Happy Sabbath. When you're shaking hands, you say, Happy Sabbath, brother or sister. And you may know all the right words, and you may be dressed the right way, and you may even be giving to the church, but have you really committed your life to following Christ? Because following Christ always costs us something. Now, here's a quote that I want to share. It says, Fans often confuse their admiration for devotion. They mistake their knowledge of Jesus for intimacy with Jesus. Fans assume that their good intentions make up for their apathetic lifestyle. And I think all of you who have really committed your life, you know that there's a difference between just going through the motions of what a Christian is supposed to do to truly following what Jesus is calling you to do. Because there is a big difference in just between being a fan and a follower. A follower is called to walk the walk of Jesus. It's more than simply knowing the truth about Jesus. See, biblical belief is more than just intellectual. I think I have a slide here. I think I have a slide for this one. There it is. So following Jesus, it is more than simply truth about Jesus. Biblical belief is more than just an intellectual acceptance or a heartfelt acknowledgement. It is a commitment to follow. To follow Jesus ultimately means that we must die to our own selfish desires. To follow Jesus means that you don't always have to want to be right. Because when we follow Jesus, it's always going to cost something. Maybe it's your pride Maybe it's your ego. Maybe it's your desire to always get the last word in in an argument. Maybe it's your desire to always be heard or get your way. Maybe you're just selfishly holding on to something that you know is getting in the way of your relationship with God, but you're not willing to let it go. Following Jesus means that we must walk the way of the cross. I know that's more biblical language, and, and I think the reason that the words we use in in churches are different than the words we use on the outside is because it must be different. Not just for the sake of being different, but because we are describing a different reality. The words that we use are supposed to be countercultural to the way the things are in the world. Because we are called to be a people that follow Jesus. And so to follow Jesus means that we live the way of the cross. And what that means is that Jesus lived his life not to serve himself, but to serve others. Jesus lived his life, ultimately pointing to his death. Now, I'm not saying that we have to physically die for the church or for each other, but it must mean that we must make our own selfish wants and desires as as real as they are. We must put those to rest in hopes of helping other people. And so the question is, are we a follower or a friend? And number four... Do you abide in Jesus' love? This is all coming from John chapter 15. And remember, this is on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. This conversation didn't happen two weeks or a year before Jesus' death. This is Jesus and his disciples on their way that Thursday night to the Garden of Gethsemane. And so Jesus is giving him his very best stuff because he knew that they not only needed to be comforted, but they also needed to know the deeper truths about how and what God expects. And so the fourth thing we look at is, are you abiding in his love? 
right? And we do this by following the teachings of Jesus. Now, Jesus says that um, he uses the word commandment. So I think I must have a slide up there. There he goes. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide. So to be a follower of Jesus and to abide in Jesus is, are you following the commandments of Jesus? And now I know when we read that word, for most of us, we have this... Um, kind of this imagery in our minds that Jesus is instantly pointing back to the book of Exodus and there's those Ten Commandments. But if we remember those Ten Commandments, if you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus actually went and took those Ten Commandments and he made them a hundred times harder to follow. Because a lot of people in the first century, during Jesus' time, they were following those Ten Commandments. They were doing all of those things, right? They were honoring the Sabbath and they had all sorts of rules so that they wouldn't break the Sabbath. And, they had, and so they, they were all outwardly following what Jesus was trying to tell, or what the Ten Commandments was saying. They were outwardly doing it, but Jesus knew that the motivation of their heart wasn't right. They were only doing these things because they wanted to look good in front of the other religious people. You see, most of the time that Jesus was upset with people in the first century was against the religious people. Which means that if Jesus were here today, he would, most, of his, most of his discourses would be directed towards you and I as religious people. Because we have this sense of just doing the minimum so that people can see that, oh, well, then we must be Christian. You must be a good religious person. And so we, we just do the minimum, but Jesus knew that that was a problem. So Jesus takes the Ten Commandments and he says, no, it's not just about the outward focus, but it's about what's happening in your heart. And Jesus says, are you doing all of these things because of the overflow of your heart, or are you just doing it so that people can think that you are a good religious person? So when Jesus says that those who abide and follow his commands, it's not just about doing the minimum, but it's about is your heart in order? Is your heart yearning and thirsting for Christ? And so when we look at what Jesus says a couple of verses later, he says this, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, than to lay one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. You see, what we find is that when you abide in his love, it means that you then do and live in such a way that shows your love for him. In any relationship, in any romantic relationship, um, well, let's just say marriage, for instance. When, when, when married couples take the marriage vows, they're not just doing, well, some of them may do it just because it's traditional and that's what you're supposed to do in a wedding. But I believe that the majority of the people that do and give their, and talk and repeat the wedding vows is because they are making a commitment to do what they are saying they are going to do in the vow. And those vows are done before God and before witnesses and before the preacher. And those vows aren't laws that are supposed to keep you from doing the things you want, but they are, they are your promise to the other person that you are going to do whatever it takes to show them that you love them. So when Jesus says, do you abide in my words and my commandments, what he is saying is, you will show me you love me if you do these things. Now, if you're just a fan of Jesus, you're not going to like that language. If you're a fan of Jesus, the words commandment and commands, they're too much. That's not what we want to hear these days. 
But if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that we are called to radical obedience. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we don't have problem with the words commands or demands because we know that Jesus, the author of life, is teaching us the best possible way to live. But it doesn't mean that just because we try our best to do the things that Jesus is calling us to do, it doesn't mean that we are now the moral police to point at other people and say, you can't do that because that is wrong. You see, the only person that you should be worried about is your, you and your relationship with God. And the only thing that you are called to do to other people is to be a blessing and serve them in any way that you can. Every person is responsible for his or her relationship with God. It's not your responsibility. No one, no one has asked us to go tell other people where they are wrong. We are just called to love. And this is what Jesus is saying. If you abide in my love, and if you follow the way that I have walked, and if you do what I have done, you will be ready. Now, the question is, are you really following the teachings of Jesus? And Jesus says this, I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. Notice he doesn't say, I'm giving you these commands so that you can be saved. Or I'm giving you these commands so that you know that you're good and you're in for all eternity. Jesus is concerned with the everyday life of a follower. Jesus says, I am teaching you all of this and I am giving you all of these commands because I want you to love one another. You know that you are abiding, that you are connected to Christ if you love others. But if you find yourself always annoyed, always upset, always mad, always judging, then perhaps you're not, you're spending more time looking at other people instead of keeping your eyes on Christ. Because if you are a follower of Jesus and if you are connected to Christ, you will have love and be a blessing for others. Jesus says, if you abide in me, I think it's supposed to say, <laughs> and my words abide in you, Ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And this is one of those really kind of tricky Bible verses in the Bible. Because this would lend itself to say that you could really ask for just about anything you want to, and it'll be given to you. But here's the caveat. If you are connected to Christ, and if your life is lived in service as a follower to Christ then the things that you ask for in prayer will no longer be things that you necessarily want, but they will be things that are already the will of God. Let me see if I can give you an example of that. If you're a follower of Christ, your prayer requests won't just be for yourself. And they won't be for physical, material things. But perhaps they will be, how can I live in service and in surrender to you and to others? Because the follower of Jesus is not about himself or herself, but it is about how they can help other people. How can we be of service to other people? And this is hard for us because we, I mean, we live in a, in a, in a time and in a country where they teach us the opposite. It's all about me. It's all about what I get out of this. What am I going to get out of this? Why would I do this for you, right? It's all about me, me, me. But to be a true follower of Jesus is not about what do I get out of this, but what do I get to give? How do I get to serve? So if you're truly connected to Christ, 
your prayers will no longer be just about yourself. And I know this is going against what some of you are thinking. Like, some of you are like, well, but I've been taught to ask in Jesus' name, and it'll be given to me. And I know that there are some of you in here who say, well, so should I just not pray for myself? Should I not pray for the things that I'm going through or the problems that I have? And my answer is no, of course, continue to pray. But continue to surrender yourself to Christ and see if your prayers don't begin to change. So when Jesus says that whatever you ask for will be given to you, it's with the understanding, right? This is 13, 14, what is it? Seven, seven verses later, after he has told us to continue to be connected to Christ, then perhaps our prayers would begin to change. And Jesus says, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and that you become my disciples. From this pulpit, we often, and I often say, that our life's purpose is to give honor and to give glory to God. And from Jesus' word, he says that God the Father is glorified by this when you bear much fruit and become my disciples. But the only way to bear fruit and become disciples is what? To be connected to Christ. You're connecting to Christ daily, and you surrendering your will and your life to Christ daily gives honor and glory to God. Because by doing so, we are saying, Lord, may your will be done, and may we be allowed to be a part of it. And I think I have one more slide. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love and this is my favorite verse, Not, I mean, from today. And it says, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. You see, we oftentimes think that whenever Jesus or whenever God calls us to do something, it's like we're going to be missing out on life or it's going to be painful. But when Jesus is telling his disciples, look, they were about to go through horrible three days. They were about to go through the time when they believed that Jesus was dead and he was not the Messiah that he had said that he was and they believed he was. And so Jesus says, no matter what happens in your life, continue to abide in Christ. Not only that, when you do that, you will bear fruit. You will be my disciple. God will be glorified. And then Jesus says, listen, I'm telling you all this not because I'm some kind of tyrannical God that is demanding things from you, but what he's saying is, do these things because my joy, I want my joy to be in you. You see, when Jesus gives us ways to live, it's not just because he wants us to be better religious people. When Jesus tells us how the best way to live is, is so that we can live in the abundance of life. Jesus came to give us life and more abundantly. Jesus didn't just come to save us for our sins for all eternity. If, 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 if all Jesus did was for what happens at the end of time, then his life would be pointless. Jesus comes to teach you and I how to live. The Gospels are filled with instructions on how to live the way of Jesus. And if you follow the way of Jesus, Jesus promises that his, the Father's joy and his joy would be in you. And how many of us don't want to live a life filled with joy? We all do. And the way to do that, I believe, the Bible teaches us, is to be a follower of Jesus. Because everyone chooses a way to live. You all choose to believe what you want to believe. We all choose to live by a certain philosophical way or ideological way. 
But I believe that what the Bible teaches us is that the best way to live is to live the way of Jesus. And by doing so, we will experience the fullness of life.